Hi everyone! Thanks for joining. This is Seeking Sustainability live talk show from Japan. I'm JJ Walsh, based in Hiroshima, Japan. And today I have the pleasure of talking with Tia Haygood. Once again, Tia is in Tokyo. Thanks so much for joining, Tia. Good morning, or I guess good afternoon now. Good How are you? Good afternoon, good midday. Hopefully, people <laughs> can join us over their lunch break. Now, I want to mention that this is the second time you have been on the show. Yes. You were on in the very first episode with other photographers and videographers. So, it's so great to have you back on because. You can have the hour to yourself, and we can really dive into all the wonderful work that you're doing. I, when I first did that episode, I wasn't sure we would have enough to talk about. So I asked three contacts, but we had more than enough. So I'm really happy to have you back. Thank you so much. Yeah, when you had me on the first time, I was so honored to be just among some like Alfie. I, I followed his work before I became、uh, a professional photographer and before I even registered Top Tia. So to be in the same room, virtual room,、uh, as him and hearing him just compliment and、uh, comment on my own work was just, just a fantastic opportunity. That's awesome. Well, we just had Alfie on a couple months ago as well. It's great to have you guys back on. And、uh, look at more in depth about your work. You've done such、alive. great projects. Robert, Robert, we're live. <laughs> we are live on the interwebs, sweetie. Hey, this is, this is all the charm, the charm of the live stream. So,、uh, before we start, let's introduce a little bit about you and about your beautiful website so people can find out more after the、sure. talk. Sure, sure. All right. What can we, how can we do this?、Uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay.、Um, well, yeah, like、uh, as you heard earlier,、um, in 2016, I registered my business,、uh, Top Tia Photography. That's the logo.、Uh, if you can、uh, probably see, can they see that? Oh, there we go. Perfect. Um, so, yes,、uh, my business is Top Tia Photography, and、uh, I specialize in headshots, events, And branding photography. I, I also do travel photography as well, promoting inbound tourism. And it's my fifth year, I want to say, 2000, yeah, yeah, fifth year now. So the fact that I, <laughs> thank you. So the fact that I've made it, yeah, this, this long and this far、uh, is this really. Uh, mind boggling to me. It's mind boggling to my father <laughs> starting a business、uh, in another, completely another country.、Um, so uh, that's, that's basically my、uh, photography story in, well, in a tiny nutshell. You haven't always been a photographer, right? You had other careers before. Yes, yes. So I moved to Japan in 2011 and I was focusing on Japanese history. And to supplement my Japanese history studies, I was teaching English. And、um, one of the things that I really, really enjoyed about teaching English is that it allowed me to just really be a part of the community, the Japanese community, and、uh, just the Japanese culture. And I really just, I wanted more. I wanted to immerse myself. So I changed, I changed positions. I changed gears. I didn't particularly want to go an academic route.、Um, I wanted to find ways to basically enjoy just being 
in Japan. Um, and I got different jobs that allowed me to be a part of Japanese schools, uh, Japanese elementary schools, that I could see things like their ongakukai, their undokai, and just, you know, just, just live the Japanese life. Well, you have excelled in the photography world. So we're going to dive into showing some of your beautiful, beautiful portrait photography, event photography, and lots of other projects that you're doing. Um, yes. Before we dive into that, though, let's give a shout out. Congratulations for your certified professional photographer certificate. This is a big deal. Yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So when uh, Corona virus happened and the lockdowns happened. I mean, it was kind of a lemons and lemonade kind of situation. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to just find a way I could improve myself, improve my skill sets, uh, kind of look at this in terms of, okay, this is just a setback. This is not the end. This is an opportunity uh, where I can really invest in myself. Uh, and and I heard about um the uh, certification of professional photographers through a course I was taking during this lockdown period uh, from the uh, New York uh, Institute of Photography. And when I completed that course, they said, okay, well, you're fin you've completed the course. Uh, why not take the opportunity to uh, apply for this exam and apply for this certification? Um, and there are only really 2,000 uh, photographers worldwide that hold this certification. I'm surprised it's it's only 2,000, but um, but yeah, I just thought, okay, yeah, I'll join this exclusive club of certified photographers, and and so I did, and it it was it was fantastic. That's great. Well, using the time during coronavirus to build foundations like that, like to up your skills, um, to improve in some way, that's the target for all of us, but. I think many of us are feeling guilty that we haven't accomplished more. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make sure that I gave you a shout out for that because well done getting that done during COVID. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> I know. Well, it's it's because well, I mean, to just to be pretty frank, I, it was it was devastating. Um, Sixty percent of my business was events. Uh, I did a lot of event photography. Um, tag along photographer where if somebody's, you know, an inbound tourist comes into the country and you just kind of follow them around and you capture their, uh, their adventure for them. And that was just drying up. It was disappearing. Um, it, it really did hurt. <laughs> and just something to kind of get you through that, that hump or get you through those, those few months where, uh, where you, you're still positive, you have this time and you're just trying to use it uh effectively uh, that was my motivation for for taking the nyip course and then uh continuing on for the cpp certification yeah that's awesome i'm showing of course like you mentioned okay. you were doing a lot of inbound tourism stuff uh, maybe you're starting that more but you always take beautiful like destination photographs from off the beaten track as well working with jarman international working with other travel and tourism guiding in in uh, organizations, maybe. Yes, but I, I love the creativity of the destination photographs. It's not your typical travel photos. You, you show so much personality and character when you are on travel photography gigs, as well as the personal uh, portrait photography. I just, I love how you bring out 
the character of not only like statues or at the shrine or temple, which is so hard, but <laughs> personally as well, you seem to have taken a real creative stance on the portrait photography. I love that. Can you talk mm -hmm. about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I really, really enjoy doing is, is getting people excited about being photographed. Um, this is not a difficult thing for the, the man in this photo. Um, he is, uh, <laughs> he's an actor and, uh, he was really excited, uh, to, to do the photo session with me. And, um, it, it just, it just really just trying to do something out of the box, uh, for him. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of Japanese photographers, uh, or Japanese models who work with photographers have a certain look. And I kind of wanted to break that mold, uh, something that was a little bit more artistic, something that was a little bit moody. I love low key and moody uh, photos in the studio, as you see from Patrick and uh, Jamie in those two photos. Um, uh, this person, uh, we were celebrating Women's International Day with uh, one of the few, I think the only female executive in Western digital. Uh, so that, th that particular style uh, is my artistic and fun style. So sometimes you will see that from time to time. But when it's me out and about exploring Japan, um, I do like a, a kind of storytelling to some of the photos that I take. Um, I do like simplicity. Sometimes you will see minimalism in some of the photos. Um, Oh, this one I really, really love. This is the Nebuta uh, Museum. I think I don't think this one was the winning Nebuta float uh, for 2019, but um, it was at the entrance. And each, oh no, let me back up and explain this. In Aomori, there's this festival called the Nebuta Matsuri. And it's basically these massive lantern uh, floats. And they are presented in a way that tells a story and oftentimes the story is a very epic story about a fight or a battle or uh, something really cool. And um, every year the, the, they pick the best Nebuta float. And um, sadly, uh, there wasn't one last year and there wasn't one this year or it isn't going to be one this year. So if you go to Aomori City and you go to this Nebuta Museum, they still have the winner from 2019. So luck, I mean, lucky stars to the 2019 winner. They get three years of publicity. <laughs> uh, but um, but yes, I, I just love a good story and I love building stories uh, through my through my photos. Adore this one as well. This is in the urban landscape. So not only out in the countryside, not only at events or festivals, but even something that you might see every day but the way that you show it through your camera, it brings out something extra. I love this one. Is this Odaiba? That's an Odaiba. Oh my goodness. So I found myself in uh, a very oshare, very fashionable side of uh, Odaiba. And this is the Soho. Uh, it's a co-working space, an exclusive co-working space. And I just loved the colorful doors that they had on their walls. And, um, I went over to, to to take a picture to get a picture of it, and I just again simplicity, minimalism, um, the patterns of just having these doors. Uh, looking back at the audience, uh, it's just very quirky. It's very simple and clean, and and that's what I appreciated most of of that 
uh, experience. I love it. Um, the the simple things that you can make uh, look interesting, uh, isn't that that's such a skill and a talent to walk around even your own neighborhood and see something interesting or valuable about it, right? So I, I love your photographer eye in that way. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, also about photographs, like taking photographs of people for portraitures. Mm -hmm. um, how do you bring out the character or personality of the people that you photograph? Do you have any, any style or hint or philosophy for that? Well, uh, when people come to me to ask for their headshots, their branding, uh, or their portrait, uh, a lot of times people say, I'm doing this because I have to, I'm doing this because I, you know, my picture's 10 years old or I look different. It's, it's always presented as, um, I don't want to say a means to an end, but something that's obligatory, like they have to do it. It's never like, hey, you know, I want to go and take a photo of myself today. Uh, it's, it's not that kind of whimsical uh, motivation. There, there is a need <laughs> to get your photo taken. And uh, following that, following when I find that out from clients, the thing that I often hear is I'm really bad at taking photos. I don't like getting my photo taken, or I'm really bad at posing or please help me with, with doing this and that. So I hear that a lot. These three ladies that you have uh, presented that they're not one of these people, <laughs> uh, surprisingly, are, are, but um what I like to do is I like to reassure clients that having their photos taken with me is not going to be the equivalent of going to the dentist. Uh, they're going to have fun. Um, I'm going to make sure the environment is uh, conducive to their needs. Um, they can bring their music. Uh, we're blasting music in the studio um, on my Bluetooth speaker. Um, I'm coaching them through different poses. So it's not going to be standing there saying cheese. It's going to be, okay, do this, move your body this way, pull your shoulder down this way. So it's very guided. Um, and a lot of the ladies and the men really do appreciate that. Uh, they really appreciate that they're not on their own. Uh, they're not just given uh, a life jacket and, you know, they have to make do with what they have it, it's really coached and it's really directed uh so that they're at ease and they know guaranteed they're going to walk out with a photo that they're going to love i love that and i i was so interested when i read that on your blog that a lot of people come to you and say i haven't had my photograph taken like this for 10 years and i when i did a session with you as well for me it was a real pivotal time too I was, it was more than 10 years. I hadn't done for a long time, but I needed it because I was going, I was transitioning to like a new step in my life and my career. And so that's so interesting that people come to you at these pivotal points in their lives. What a, what an honor and pressure as well to document them at this important time, but you do, it, you do it so beautifully. Of course. I mean, talk about pressure. A lot of times when people do come, uh, if, they're, if they haven't waited 10 years, they're, they're getting a new photo because they want to change jobs and they want to look uh, fresh for LinkedIn or fresh for when they're doing interviews with their potential employer. Uh, so yeah, you're, you're trying to make your client visually uh, uh, presentable for 
you know, their next job. So obviously you're not, the, if they don't get the job, it's not my fault, but you know, sometimes you, you put that weight on your shoulder. It was interesting as well. It looks like you're doing makeup as well as you do very professional lighting. Mm -hmm. um, you knew what kind of poses would make people look more engaging. Mm -hmm. um, I just, I love your style. I think that comes from being a, pe a people person. You are so obviously a person who can connect to other people. You're not just a photographer. Um, do you find, I didn't realize that you were also doing the makeup. Are you collaborating with makeup artists for this? Yes, yes. So I collaborate with um, two makeup artists. Uh, one uh, who's from Africa, she's from Senegal. She's amazing. I love Darlene Yaya. Uh, and uh, the second one, uh, her name is Nobue Doi from Kyoto. Uh, fully trained in Paris. I'm, I've been working with her for three years. Uh, I always offer clients the option to do makeup or have makeup done. Uh, a lot of ladies take that opportunity because maybe they don't wear makeup or maybe they don't really trust their makeup skills um, or it's in the middle of summer and by the time they get to the studio, it's just running down their face. <laughs> so so they, they do appreciate having that ability or having that, that uh, opportunity to get makeup done. I also partner with a stylist because um, sometimes people don't really know how to style their clothes um, or what kind of clothing combinations they would like to bring. So I do recommend a stylist to clients um, who can come to their house or uh, have a consultation with them to decide which clothing they would like to have for the session or even go shopping with them so that they can buy something to add to that look. Wow, that's great insight. Mm -hmm. um, that's something that I've, I've certainly learned over the year uh, since we interviewed last time. Now mm -hmm. you are number 265 and you Full were circle. number one. Oh my gosh. Um, but that's one thing that I've learned as well is that you, you need to have some kind of foundation. You should wear bright colors, uh, having a ring light at the top of your screen or be, be on your camera. It does help. Like mm. these, these are things when you're using a visual medium, you do have to have the right stuff to have the yeah. right look. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you just don't get the same message across if you mm -hmm. don't look right visually, right? Mm. It's so true. And I noticed a lot of, I noticed sometimes there's there's an interesting transition of, of clients that I have where there's somebody moving from Japan to the US or they're moving from a Western country to Japan. A lot of the headshots, uh, corporate or business headshots are quite casual, especially for startup companies or startup employees who have that relaxed, casual, business casual look, their headshots are in sweaters, uh, maybe a, 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 what do you call it, a collared shirt. Um, those particular photos don't particularly, they don't translate well here, or sometimes people, I've heard people are saying that they're not really received as well when they come to Japan because everyone wants the business suit. Uh, they want that, that professional look. So I have been getting clients that are saying, yeah, I've moved to Japan and I need something a little bit more business forward or business facing. Um, and then the opposite, I, I have clients right now who are going to Japan or excuse me, going to America and they're saying my, my look looks too corporate and I don't wanna look stiff. I wanna look personable and friendly and like a team player. Uh, so I do have, uh, in terms of your point to 
clothing coordinating and uh, and who your audience is, it does come up. And it's it's so important to have both, right? To have the casual look, but also that professional headshot. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for a job or if you're running your own company and you want people to trust you, yes. like having the, the shots that you've done professional versus casual, they're both really important, I think, in this day and age, right? Absolutely. And I tell client, I tell clients, I say, hey, you know, bring your professional outfit because this is a, usually a headshot session, um, but also bring something casual that's kind of fun um, and bring something that uh, you, you know, would never or haven't worn in a while. Uh, because it's been COVID, a lot of people haven't worn their formal wear, their elegant wear. Uh, so uh, the, the photo that you had, I think, previously, um, the 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 black and white photo uh the other one in the bottom one two three left bottom right uh we were doing a headshot session where she brought business clothes to the session and i said oh well just bring something like nice and formal and we can do a beautiful like formal photo and uh the black and white photo here we did that and when i actually did her photo reveal where you know, I'm selling her her photos. She got her business photos di in digital, but she specifically ordered a matted print uh, of this photo because, you know, it's it's something that's outside of the box. It's something that you wouldn't normally do. Um, some of my clients, the last time they had their photos professionally done was their wedding day. So, you know, depending on the time difference of when that was, that's a long time. And as someone who's been on the HR side and reviewed uh, potential teachers' CVs with photo, I can tell you the photo makes a big difference, especially if you want to trust them to be around your clients or to be around your students, right? Mm -hmm. um, so having something where you show kindness, you show a uh, character that people can trust, it's, it's valuable. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Uh, let's let's talk about Angela Ortiz because oh, yeah. this year was a pivotal year for her Place to Grow uh, organization, and you also were in at an event with My Invisible Compass. Can you mm -hmm. talk about those two? That's awesome. Yeah, so I love Angela. Angela is one of those people that you try to aspire to. Actually, I literally I have her book that she just. Uh, came out with last year, and it's a really good read if anyone's interested. Um, just, just, just amazing woman. And photographing her and her daughter at this session was quite fun. Um, she, she's just. I, what can I say about her? Uh, she, she's super confident. Um, I, she's I can been, just. She's been in the series a few times uh, yes. this year around mm -hmm. the Tohoku disaster memorial time. Mm -hmm. uh, her and her father were telling the story of Place to Grow and the work that they've been doing over the last 10 years. I don't know much about My Invisible Compass. Was that yeah. an in-person event or? That was it, uh, an in-person event uh, during the lockdown. It was a symposium, which uh, kudos to, to the team that put that together. There was a lot of um, preparation that they had to do for the media. Uh, everyone was spaced out um, just so that we could be in, be safe in that room. Uh, I just, Matt Miller, the, the My Invisible Compass uh, was 
uh, created by a filmographer, Matt Miller, who is the guy you see here. Um, he's a uh, part Japanese, uh, half Japanese and half American. And he just has a remarkable story, um, uh, not only of his own background, but of the person who he's talking about uh, in the story. I, I think that they're still continuing funding uh, for the, uh, the film. It hasn't been released yet. Of course, COVID things kind of delayed uh, the film just a bit, but it should be coming out uh, soon, I believe. And you mentioned it was a fundraiser for Midai no Mori, is it? So the how it works is, is as Matt Miller is one of the ambassadors, he's one of the volunteers for uh, Mirai no Mori, and he he's just one of the, the rock stars of that organization. Mirai no Mori focuses on marginalized children um, who are in group homes or who are in less ideal circumstances and they introduce them to nature and uh, I've, I've photographed for Mirai no Mori before and it's such a wonderful group of, of uh, adults who just want to make things enjoyable for children find them an outlet uh, that they can build confidence uh, have fun uh, and just not really focus on the negative aspects of where they, of what they're going through and focus on something new and positive. Um, that's where I met Matt Miller. Uh, and that's where um, Matt uh, was filming and getting the footage of the movie, uh, of his documentary, excuse me, My Invisible Compass, which does uh, follow uh, one of the Mirai no Mori uh, students or Mirai no Mori campers uh, who did uh, lose his family and lose his home in the Tohoku uh, earthquake disaster. Wow. That's, mm -hmm. I, I mean, we talked to Sarah Jean Rosito as well about Minai de Mori, and it sounds like a great organization. Just getting kids out into nature and doing really simple things like hikes, but mm -hmm. it can have a really profound effect on their development and kind of reconnecting to nature helps them reconnect to themselves and their community. It's really beautiful organization. Looking forward to reaching out uh, to Matt and learning more about that. That sounds really interesting. Please, please do. Um, and going back to the uh, uh, Angela's point, this is something that I, I've talked to Angela about. She really does believe in this idea of really being consistent with volunteering. Um, that was what, to me, uh, that was one of the, the main core parts of a place to grow because from what she was telling me is you don't want to have volunteers that go and volunteer and then rock out and you never see them again. Uh, she talked to me about having the same volunteers consistently participating um, and visiting the people of Tohoku uh, monthly, quarterly, annually for her, um, I believe she had uh, this really, really big Christmas event where people would go uh, up to Tohoku and they would celebrate Christmas. And, and if you had the same people there, uh, then that would you know, really strengthen the relationship between the people who they were helping um, and the volunteers. Uh, Matt uh, is definitely one of those uh, amazing uh, people who've been consistent uh, and who I think he's been a part of Mirai no Mori since 2014. Uh, so, so that's really something that's really key, especially for children, uh, marginalized children who might have certain anxieties and to be able to, to trust somebody who is older, who is different, who is not Japanese, who's not speaking Japanese, that consistency, uh, is really important. And that's something that, um, 
that both Matt Miller and Mirai Morty share with Angela and uh, a place to grow. Definitely. And the whole idea, like uh, Angela often says, is the locals just don't want you to forget them mm. now that it's been 10 years. So right. the, the work still continues, right? It's right. really important to think about. Um, another uh, organization that you did photography for was the breast cancer event. Was that yes. Run for the Cure? That was Run for the Cure, absolutely. Um, Run for the Cure, I, I, I joined them because uh, I had people in, I had a, a personal loss in my family uh, to breast cancer. And when I came to Japan and started uh, photographing, I wanted to join uh, their cause. And I actually joined their cause initially. Um, I got to back up for a second. I, I'm a, I was a few member uh, and I was on the few board as a community service director. And I was trying to find NPOs that I could reach out to that our few members could participate uh, in and with and volunteer for. And at the time, their Run for the Cure event, their flagship event was coming up in December. And as I was talking to the, um, as I was talking to the team, uh, the coordinators, uh, to see if there could be something that we could do with few and with them, I was just kind of like, "Hey, you know, I'm a photographer. Can I can I also photograph your event? You know, this is like a really really fun opportunity for 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 me and 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 for you guys as well. So we've actually had uh, a relationship for I think it's four years now because I've also been photographing their pink ball and their casino night as well, and a couple of photos for their magazine. Their pink magazine. Um, it's so difficult. Let's talk about photography at events or conferences like this because you, as a photographer in the studio, you can control the lighting, you yes. can control the background, you can ask people to pose in a certain way. But mm -hmm. when you are a, photogra a photographer at an event or a conference like this, you <laughs> can't. You just have to find the right angle. This is a beautiful photograph, perfectly lit, perfect angle. Uh, <laughs> any tips for event photographers out there? Um, well, study your light. Look for the where the light is coming from. Um, I can't really take credit on the lighting that was totally provided by the light designer who was lighting the stage that um, uh, Vicky was talking at <laughs> or talking on. Um, so, so that that the real props go to to the the lighting design team. Um, but in an event, the the first thing I do is I try to study my 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 location. I study the room. I'm looking at what my light is. Uh, where's the light coming from? Is it a light that I want? Uh, is it a light that I want to get rid of or change? Um, once I make that decision, then I can set my cameras to where I want it to be or set my camera settings to what I want it to be, set my lights if I have external lights uh, to what I want it to be. And then I start capturing the event. Another example of not being in control of your light, uh, <laughs> outdoor photography for weddings, beautiful. Oh, that's fun. Um, you know, it's really funny because um, I, I love the magic and I love the romance of doing couples photos um, because you can really tell them and, and guide them and coach them in many different ways. Uh, and you're not really dealing with uh, too many people. It's just, it's just, 
two people in love um, and they want something really magical to cherish and look at. So they're going to work for those photos and you can tell them what to do and anything what to do or anything to do. Uh, so um, this one, we were in uh, the Imperial Gardens um, and it was really nice. It was a really nice day, uh, nice and cloudy. I didn't have to worry about too much harsh sun. Um, if I did, I would have had my assistant uh, kind of help me mitigate that that issue with uh, a reflector or with a diffuser, something so that the, the light isn't too harsh. Um, but in this, the second photo, uh, this one is, it's, it's December because it's the uh, illuminations, but uh, you're, you don't see in the photo the other 10 brides and grooms that are in this area <laughs> trying to capture the same thing. Um, I, I wanted to capture something magical um, not to get too technical, I, I guess I'm explaining the technicalities of the, the photo. Um, I've got um, a light behind them and I've got my assistant holding a light in front of, of them uh, to kind of get a nice soft glow, but still you get that, that bright feel and bright look of the illuminations behind them. So, so yeah, the couples are really, really patient because they, they want the photo. They want that photo for the gram. They want that photo for the album. So if it means they got to do a little work, uh, I, I find that very fun to do. Gorgeous. Mm -hmm. um, so it transitions beautifully into what you say is your favorite event to cover, which is Shichigo-san. Yes. And uh, family photography, all dressed up in beautiful traditional Japanese clothing, kimonos, to celebrate a child turning either seven, five, or three. Yes. So Shichigo-san, right? Mm -hmm. I love Shichigo-san because, you know, it depends on a lot of things. Um, it depends on how involved the family is with their local shrine because not all families, particularly Western families that like the, the, that like the opportunity to, to do Shichigo-san uh, photos don't always know that you can actually go and do the ceremony in the shrine with the priests. <laughs> it's usually just like, oh no, we wanna, we wanna, we want the experience. We want the, to wear the, uh, our kimonos and be presentable and dressed up. Uh, so the opportunity on, uh, a, a opportunity on a, how can I say, on a small level or less involved level is pretty strong for a lot of families. But then you get the Japanese families or the, the bicultural families where they're like, no, we want to go to our local shrine. We know this. We've known our priest for 30 years. He's been in our family. We want him to bless him or bless her. Uh, so, so sometimes I'm actually in those sessions um, where I'm in the the uh, I'm in the uh, shrine uh, with them, and, and depending on the rules of the shrine, most times we're not allowed <laughs> to take pictures during the ceremony. Um, but I have uh, experienced some lenient uh, and forgiving uh, priests that say, "Okay, you can take a couple of silent photos, but but please don't shoot the whole you know process. Pick pick key moments, and and then just just kind of sit in the back." So it it does vary in terms of involvement. Um, these two photos, oh, there are four photos. Um, the one where we had a priest bless the child um, was this orange photo or this, the yellow photo uh, to the right. Um, that one I did kind of have to like, I could shoot before the ceremony and after, but not during the ceremony. 
Um, but then the remaining ones, these were pretty laid back, less involved um, sessions where we were at the shrine and we enjoyed uh, the the shrines, uh, the location of the shrine, and we did a, a, a simple prayer at the shrine, and then that was the maximum kind of level of the Shichigo San ceremonial practice. Can you talk a little bit uh, technical here about what kind of camera you like to use, like on location? Okay. Um, you mentioned before you take like a reflector or uh, an extra light. Mm -hmm. um, can you just talk the technicals a little bit? Sure. So for this, the I'll start from the left and then go to the right. Um, so for the left one, I did use a pop-up flash, or not a pop-up flash, I used an on-camera flash. Um, basically, it's it's on my camera. It's slightly, it's significantly bigger than a pop-up flash, but um, I just wanted to diffuse it so that I could get a clear uh, look of all the details of uh, the face of this child. I'm not going to name names of children, <laughs> uh, but this young lady. Um, and then this one, I just let the ambient light, it was about late afternoon, uh, take over. Um, there is some editing involved to where I wanted to enhance the the warm, uh, the warmth of the ambient light. So so that that's that's the 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 secret sauce for that photo. Um, but the two red photos, the one on the the one in the middle and the one on the far right, uh, these three girls know each other. Um, they're from different families, and they just wanted to have uh, a, a a session with them together where they're all experiencing Shichigo-san. Uh, two of the girls are seven and one of the girls, I think the youngest sister is five. Um, and, and it was just a ball of them just wearing these kimonos, acting like, you know, just, just fashionistas. They really enjoy just, just being in this kimono and being in Japan in this shrine uh, that, that um, was in Kamakura. Uh, the other two, I think um, the one in the top where it's the young lady between the trees and then the young man who's just kind of standing on the rock. Uh, these two were by Japanese family. One was a Japanese family and then one was a bicultural Japanese um, and European family. And so these, we did have the more involved uh, sessions where a priest was involved in the blessing of the children. Uh, again, I wasn't able to photograph the these the uh ceremonies uh but i did get to enjoy the company of the children um by having them do something kind of fun um kind of jumping and playing uh anytime i have to do something really fun and energetic i i almost never have extra lighting equipment um i'm always going off of the camera um and the ambient light that's around me so i am changing my settings a lot to <laughs> compensate for things <laughs> um but this one the one where it's the young man and there's the the kind of haze uh this boy was quite energetic and i i i like energetic kids because i'm kind of an energetic 30 some odd year old and i like bouncing around and jumping and hoo hawing and this one was no exception and it was about dusk, um, a golden hour, and he's jumping around, he's in his outfit, and then I just call his name, and he just turns around, and in that moment where the sun's just coming, boom, you know, I got the shot. Uh, was not pre-planned, it was definitely organic, which happens, sometimes you get that magical moment that you didn't think of beforehand, uh, so that was a magical moment. <laughs>
Well, that's that's gorgeous. I love that. And that's that's one key thing that Alfie was saying as well in his uh, interview not long ago, that it it requires some luck when you're a photographer. You just sometimes are able to take the beautiful photo, but it definitely requires some luck. <laughs> yes, especially with children. <laughs> Another uh, maybe difficult shooting that you had at events was the Black Lives Matter march. Mm -hmm. um, and those photos are so powerful and so important in terms of documenting not only America's history, but what was happening in Japan mm -hmm. um, during the Black Lives Matter movement. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, so a little over a year ago, um, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, well, Black Lives Matter movement had been around before uh, the unfortunate events of uh, George Floyd's uh, murder. Um, but the momentum, uh, the, the footage of seeing people who had been on the fence with Black Lives Matter, people who had been completely dismissive of Black Lives Matter at the organization, uh, not the concept, uh, were starting to come around. And so you started seeing this wave of people listening and, and starting seeing this wave of people understanding and developing empathy and really starting to manifest that into uh, action. Uh, people who, you know, you might consider pulling teeth, you know, to, to, to see the injustices that were going on in the U.S. were starting to lend that ear. Um, and that was no exception with Japan because Japan it had always been, uh, that's an American thing. That's not an us thing. We don't really need to focus on that. Um, and here on a day where it was a lockdown day uh, because of the pandemic and a day where it was raining because it's June and it's rainy season, 3,600 people had come out to voice their frustrations with the injustices of what happened to George Floyd and that just blew me away. And I wanted to be a part of documenting that. I wanted to see who's coming. Uh, what are, what kind of messages are they are they saying and sharing? Um, and I really honestly went there to ask people. I was there asking Japanese people like, hey, wh why are you here? What prompted you to be here? Um, and a lot of people were saying, I, I saw the footage. I saw what happened on the news, and I thought it was I thought it was unfair. I thought it was disgusting. I wanted to 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 share my support to to the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. Um, it it was truly truly remarkable just seeing people, young and old, uh, not just African American Black, but African Black, Caribbean Black, uh, UK Black, and then of course people who are neither of those things uh, out there representing and supporting uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, um, or at least I shouldn't say that, uh, fighting for justice for this man, George Floyd. Uh, and then seeing that conversation change into, hey, can we do some racial reckoning here in Japan with uh, mixed race children and mixed race uh, adults? So that, that really was a, a magical kickoff to not just a world reckoning, but but also a Japan uh, reckoning as well. Yeah. 
and intersectionality, right? Like bringing into the conversation about like here you have queers for Black Lives Matter or queers against racism. So bringing in other marginalized groups, mm -hmm. uh, gender empowerment, uh, race, racial divide, uh, mm. intersectionality in terms of how you identify as a person and how you feel about your gender and how is that talked about. So in terms of bringing in so many conversations that needed to have a light shine on it, um, that was a really powerful part of Japan's history. Yeah. Happening in America, right? Absolutely. And just taking the pictures and showcasing them. I mean, I'm one of those, I'm like you said, I'm a people person. I like people to be happy. I like people to be comfortable. And so some of the things and frustrations that I have about my own miss not saying, uh, my own experiences with microaggression, my own experiences with racism, you know, I was just always of the mind of people don't want to hear that. And I just always kept quiet. And so being able to show these visually really helped me kind of bring out my voice um, and say, hey, you know, I'm gonna talk about this. We can talk about it um, and have a conversation about it. It'll be tough. And I was just blown away by the people who uh, I worked with in past NPOs, uh, people who were my clients, uh, people who were, you know, just that, this doesn't affect them in any way, shape or form, were being engaging in this really difficult conversation and educating themselves. And so it really helped me feel comfortable even being a part of this conversation uh, with people who uh, you know, are now my friends or people who I now see as true allies. Um, because you're right, Joy, um, we all do need to come together and, and combat issues on a united front and not you know, fragmented. Absolutely. And you did that beautiful portrait. She was one of the organizers, right? Yes, Sierra Todd, she was one of the organizers. Um, we got together to, to do a session um, in the studio to highlight more about Black Lives Matter um, through different mediums, including fashion, including other uh, other portraits. Um, so, so yeah, it was, it was really, really, uh, a nice project that that we did together, uh, as well as with um, uh, Sophia. Uh, I'm going to get her name wrong. Uh, Mira, Mirith. Um, I'll link. I'll link to her handle um, or her Instagram handle. But uh, she was one. Of, she was the one that actually kicked that collaboration off. Yeah, great. Well, it's great to see that you were able to capture these beautiful moments, not only in the protests and the, not really protests, but in the marches, but also the people who were organizing, who probably got a lot of negative flack, but having this beautiful, powerful portrait of someone who was an organizer and representing their role in this gorgeous way, that is the power of photography. And I just, I love it. You did a great job. Yeah, oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, let's talk a little bit, transition a little bit back to travel. Sure. And representing the off the beaten track travel experiences. I think we talked about this a little bit uh, in our first talk year a year ago. Wow. Uh, where is this? This is beautiful. Is the yellow flowers? Yeah. So that's a uh, nanahana. It's um, canola, canola flower, which 
before I photographed this, I did not know that canola oil was made out of this flower. Um, and two, that this these flowers are like seasonal. They're kind of like like sakura flowers. They only come out a certain amount of time at a certain time of year. Um, and we had just lucked out and just had, we saw this blindingly yellow field of, of these flowers. Um, I, I just loved photo. I, I think we stayed like, I don't know, a couple of hours. I just did not want to leave this place. It was absolutely beautiful just photographing. And this, we took this actually a couple of months, no, last month. Uh, early last month, um, they had, they usually have, again, another Matsuri that got canceled to COVID. Um, they usually have a Matsuri um, and there are usually more flowers. I mean, how can you imagine more, but there are a lot more um, and they had to uh, mitigate for social distancing and uh, not, in, not, uh, what can I say, social distancing and, and just not bringing too much of a crowd to the um, to the Mott City. So the Mott City was kind of there. It was just a little bit low key this year. Um, but just the, just the number I saw um, when I was when we were there, it was just I just loved it. I really didn't want to leave. <laughs> it's gorgeous. And yeah. I, I'm so glad to see that last year and the beginning of the COVID uh, pandemic, there were some parks that had like tulip blossoms and they decided to cut them all down. So people I know. Do them. So I... I'm glad that they stopped that tactic and let people go and enjoy outdoor spaces because it actually seems perfect to go and enjoy the outdoors, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, it does. And this is kind of one of the good points about going to a less or lesser known location is you know, if you're if you're going to say Shinjuku Gyoen, it's it's there. It's in Shinjuku. Everyone's there. Um, it's popular. It gets crowded pretty easily. Um, but you know, if you're traveling a bit further north, uh, there's not a lot of people trying to get to the the, the tippy top of Aomori, which is where we were. <laughs> um, to, to, to see you know these beautiful sights. I mean, they're worth going to see, uh, but I, I just liked how we didn't have to, to worry about the crowd. I didn't have to worry about Photoshopping people out of the photo afterwards or people getting in the shot or waiting for people to leave like I would in maybe Hamariku or uh, uh, Jindai uh, Gardens or some of the Tokyo Gardens um, that you see from time to time. Um, I, I just love the seclusion and just the, the, the uninterrupted uh, space that we were in. So another good argument to get out of the big cities when get you travel in Japan, because <laughs> there is so much to see and not only like really interesting culture, you know, really interesting local people, but these stunning views. Uh, mm -hmm. We've only got nine minutes left. So are any of these photos you want to talk about? These are all gorgeous. Well, some of them um, are should be familiar because we talked about them on the first episode. So like the the uh, Nippon Daira uh, photo of um, Mount Fuji from the from the opposite side um, is one familiar one. And uh, the photo uh, of the the paraglider, uh, paragliding, um, the, the 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 kite that's um, in uh, Mount Oyama that I think, I don't remember if we both went to that one, but um, but yeah. Uh, then there's uh, Sato Island 
and then I think the sun is where were we? Uh, Naruko Onsen, the um, the swans in Naruko Onsen. Uh, so some of these are a bit familiar, um, but I did kind of just to establish our connection that we've been on a couple of these trips before. Yeah. I remember uh, we were both at Nippon Daira with that view of Mount Fuji and you were out and I was out. We were out at the dawn, right when the sun is coming up, mm -hmm. you've got your tripod out there and getting the best shot and it's just beautiful. Yeah. And then that sky paraglider, is it? I didn't, I wasn't on that trip. That's gorgeous. Oh, this one was with um this one was with Jarman International and we were climbing Mount Oyama. And I swear I wish more people knew about Mount Oyama. I will stand up on Mount Oyama and sing to the heavens about how gorgeous this place is. Um there's such a rich history to it, um, in the sense of uh, there's a connection between Enoshima and uh, Mount Fuji. It's the it's kind of like a halfway point uh, in between the two, and there are actually historical stories that connect the two, uh, the three places. Um, but outside of uh, outside of folklore and 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 that kind of history, there's also like recent I don't say recent, but like 150 year old history where merchants would come companies would come you know how you know how in the 70s when companies had like the company retreat and they go to like an onsen or they go to ryokan or whatnot well this was kind of what what companies were doing in like the late edo period and they would bring like these massive like these massive swords that like wooden swords and as a team they, they'd stay at the ryokan um and then the next morning when they're climbing up mount oyama they carry this big huge wooden uh, 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 sword because it's cut to be shaped like a sword and the idea is is that you know they're trying to bring good fortunes to their company they're trying to bring good fortunes to their business um, if you go there now you can see like old business names that were written in certain uh, yokans or on the shrines um, it, it really is a wonderful place and it is a great like it's a great place that you could go for a day, but it's also a great place you could go for the weekend. Um, if you're very active, like if you like hiking, it's really great for hiking. And then of course, up top, you get a nice little uh, reward meal, um, which um, uh, was just so fantastic. Cause I think it took us three hours to walk it, but one of us ran. Um, and I think it took him maybe about an hour, hour and a half to just run um, uh, up there. And the, the, the paraglider, we, I took that photo at the top of, of the mountain. So, um, I, I do women's retreats and I really want when everything, you know, goes back to normal, I really want to get, uh, my next women's retreat to be out here in Mount Oyama. Oh, that would be awesome. Um, one more thing I wanted to mention we haven't touched on yet is you yeah. also do product photography. Yes. I love this yuzu kosho ingredient because, of course, focus on sustainability. It's in a reusable container and making your own yuzu kosho instead of buying it from the store, which is usually in a plastic container. This is a very sustainable DIY. And <laughs> Yuzu, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, yuzu is a kind of citrus, and um, it was from Kochi. I believe we had a guest on Violet talking about Kochi and all the yuzu in the area. Uh, kosho is black pepper. So you, what was the story behind this? This is a great photo. Uh, so, yeah, so I do a lot of life 
lifestyle um, product photography, and I also do uh, catalog product photography. Um, this one was to cover one of my favorite cooking classes, um, Kitchen Nippon. Uh, I love going to cooking classes. I miss cooking classes. Um, but uh, this particular one, Kitchen Nippon, they were making yuzukosho um and they had like the salt from niigata and they had um like these really hot peppers um that everyone was just in tears uh for cutting <laughs> for for the yuzukosho because it is quite it has a bit of a kick to it um and uh i i took everyone's prepared uh kind of bottles when they'd finished i'd taken them and i just photographed um, the, the photos for their blog, um, that they were going to write about. And, uh, and yeah, I got to make one as well. Um, it, it's been a few years since, uh, this photo. So I've, I've already finished, uh, the Yuzu Kosho already, but I do have the recipe. They did give us a recipe. <laughs> yeah. This is something in the workshop that we did, um, for sustainable, uh, seeking sustainable tourism workshop, which we tried a few times this year, we had a chef from a ryokan in Nagano uh, teaching how to make vegan kaiseki diori, which is the beautiful dishes. And one of the ingredients he had all of us go and buy is yuzu kosho. And I couldn't find it because the kanji on the package was so difficult. But <laughs> once I found it, there was a huge section. So this is like a secret ingredient of Japanese cooking that I had not realized. Oh, and it's uh, so delicious. I right? love yuzu kosho. Yuzu kosho is the first thing I buy when winter hits um, because I put it on all of the oden um, that I get during the season. So um, whether it's konbini oden or grocery store oden or I haven't gotten to making my own oden yet, uh, but but I, I forgo the mustard and I put yuzu kosho on everything, everything Odin. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Do you want to go through your PDF if there's anything we didn't touch on um, for the last couple minutes? You know what? We touched on pretty much uh, everything. I'm looking through it right now. And I mean, yeah, we talked about just everything that is uh, what Tatia strives for and enjoys and up. Uh, Sakura photo from I think that's that is this year's Sakura yes um, in Nakameguro uh, which I never I was one of those sad people who'd never gone to Nakameguro during Sakura season I'd hear people say oh Meguro is beautiful during Sakura season and I was on the Toyoko line and I was on my phone and as we stopped at Nakameguro I just looked up and it's this sea of pink and I just let out this whoa on the train and everyone's looking at me and then they're looking at what I'm looking and they're looking at it and every all the phones go. <laughs> so uh, I had to schedule a trip to come down or to go down uh, to Megiddo River and uh, and just take pictures of um, the Sakura in the area. This is a gorgeous photo and I have taken Sakura photos for many, many years as everybody in Japan or every visitor to Japan does in spring. But it's not easy to take good photos of the Sakura. It, there's there's like too much of it and, <laughs> and finding the right angle. So this is a great, beautiful example of what a real photographer can do. It's one <laughs> of those things where you have to think about like, yeah, it's you have to think about what you want to highlight. Of course, you want the Sakura, but 
Do you want the sakura tree amongst the other trees? Do you want the sakura petal amongst the other petals or the, 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 the collection of sakura amongst the other ones? It's all about really trying to isolate the main one instead of just taking a picture of anyone. You find one that you want to really focus on and then take a photo of it and try to find ways to enhance it so that it's not just disappearing uh, amongst all the other sakura photos and it's a, it's a fun flower photography tip um it just trying to isolate the photo of the flower you want to focus on well done that is beautiful that's a great one to end on Thank you so much, Tia, for joining and all your photography insights. I would love to do this every six months or every year and follow up on your new projects, your new photos. Oh, thank you. I've got quite a few coming up and it's summer. So, of course, all the summer photos um, I'm really excited about taking. There'll be some underwater photos. There'll be some nighttime photos. Uh, uh, every year I try to get something underwater and I try to get the Milky Way um, when I'm in Niigata. So uh, keep an eye out for those. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, uh, maybe I can just show your website at the very end. Sure. Got a beautiful website. Let me see. Does this work? There you go. Can you see that? Yeah, I, I can see it on, I guess, the, the side panel. Okay. You can. Uh, I have to choose it. Here we go. Okay, let me get us off screen just for a sec because I want to feature your beautiful website. It's gorgeous. Thank you. And uh, really well done. And so it shows all your different kind of photography you do at events, family couples, headshots, portraits. And you also have a blog where you yes. talk about some of your other projects. So definitely check out toptia.com. Nice and easy. I like it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you everybody for joining. That was a great conversation with Tia. Thank you so much, Tia. Thank you. Everyone, have a good day. You too. Take care. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye guys.